Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, thank you, worship team. Thank you, El Salvador team. Wonderful to hear of your good experiences in El Salvador. While we're uh, pressing the pause button on the fall series called uh, Taking Jesus Seriously, uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back after Christmas. I don't mean that we're not going to take Jesus seriously for the next few weeks, <laughs> just to be clear on that. We'll just take a break from the series, but we'll continue to take him seriously. But this is Advent season, uh, and today, as we have been reminded, is our very first Sunday in the Advent season, and we turn our attention to the little boy who was born in very humble surroundings, but a boy who changed the course of history. And of course, we know his name was Jesus. I have one verse for you this morning, and if you have your Bible, uh, it's found in the fourth chapter of Galatians uh, and the fourth verse. So Galatians uh, chapter 4 and verse 4, which says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, and subject to the law. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So it wasn't as if this little boy suddenly arrived on the scene without any sense of expectancy. It's just uh, that even though you think, you think, you have a of uh, what it is, but then sometimes you miss it. Because you were so focused on what you thought it would look like that you actually missed the real thing. You, you thought he was going to throw you a fastball. You had your mind that it was coming this way, but he was actually throwing you a curveball. But you were so focused on the fastball that you missed it. So our Advent series is called The Gifts of Christmas, and the first message is the gift of expectancy. Now, you've done this. I've done it with our children when they were small and did it, do it with our grandchildren these days, and maybe you remember someone playing it with you, where you have a, have a piece of candy or a loony or a trinket of some sort, and you have your hands behind the back, your back, and then you pull it out, and you, you have your, the child choose whichever hand, and they're anticipating that you've got something for them in either hand. Now, you don't play that game with a child and have nothing in your hand at the end of it when they tap this hand, and you just open it and say, ha, sorry. And you you let them do that for five rounds, and then you finally say, ha, see, life is full of disappointments. You would never do that. Sometimes we go through life and it seems like when we choose, we don't get what we want. We expected it would be different. Maybe we misunderstood what God is trying to give us. Maybe we misunderstood. We were looking for the fastball, but he threw a curveball. And, and we misunderstood what he was trying to say to us. 
And then we feel like he doesn't care. But you know from reading his word and from personally experiencing his love, uh, we would all suggest that God always wants to give his children good and perfect gifts. Although we don't understand it that way all the time. We misinterpret it. James 1.17 reminds us from the message, So my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There's nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. And his best gift, of course, is the gift of his son, his very own son, Jesus, born as a little boy. I don't know if you've read the section of verses lately. I read it this week, Psalm 115, verses 1 to 3. You may recognize these verses. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Why let the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. Which is not to say he does what he wishes in a cruel way, or in a punishing way, or in a way that says, uh, I'm out to get you. Uh, Here, choose this hand. Oh, choose this hand. (laughs) There's nothing there for you. I don't really care about your life. Never, never. That is not our God. So perhaps we've misinterpreted him. Remember what Matthew wrote. You, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread... Do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Matthew 7. So the gift of expectancy is to know that God wants to give us good gifts, to have that deep in our heart that God wants to give us good gifts. He does give good gifts, but what most of us discover between the hardball and the curveball is that rarely does God rush. How many know that in their hearts? Rarely does God rush. Carefully and methodically, he carries out the plan that he has in his mind and his heart. Now, how different that is from me perhaps from you. We rush, we wonder why things don't happen faster. We're in a hurry, we grow impatient. As Lorraine so well expressed this morning, why is this taking so long? Ever said that? Do you notice how things are speeding up these days in your life? Happens every year. Even though we say, I can't let this happen again this Christmas season. But but it does and just this season puts the pressure on us the list just gets longer and longer and when the list gets longer the feet get going stronger and the mind begins to swirl maybe even the blood pressure begins to rise a little bit and it's easy to forget that whatever God does he usually takes a lot of time to do it 
Do you find that to be so in your life? Does it seem to take a long time for God to unfold His plan for your life? A couple of weeks ago, I was reading the blog of my missionary friend, now retired from active ministry on the field, and he was reflecting on the time that he and I spent together in the early 80s. And Jack was mad, I'll be honest. He was angry. He was disappointed. He was upset with God. And every week or two, God gave me the assignment to meet with an angry missionary. They're a tough bunch. What was he mad about? He was angry that God was not in a hurry. He was angry that he and his wife had spent years on the mission field and he had not seen one, one person from the Canela tribe in the Amazon come to faith in Christ. He was with Wycliffe, he was translating the scripture, but there were no results after years of serving. And his only conclusion was, I'm working my butt off and God is not in a hurry. I'm upset with God. I didn't have any magical words for Jack, only to, la- uh, to listen and to acknowledge his pain, to acknowledge his anger, his disappointment. But it seemed somehow that that was enough because the spirit began to lance the poison in his heart and set him free. And he and his wife went back to uh, Brazil. God opened the hearts of the Canela people. And the next year, 50 men and women came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it was such an incredible lesson for Jack uh, and for me too. God never seems to be in a hurry. Patiently and perfectly, he works out his plan and his purpose for, for his glory yeah, and for our good. Let me explain why he didn't immediately remove your pain. That may explain why he didn't immediately take you out of that dilemma. That may help us understand why he didn't immediately heal your physical ailment or the relational peace that got broken in your life. Maybe it explains why he didn't grant some of our prayers when we were so desperately looking for a place to go uh, in our journey towards this building and towards having a permanent home in this community. I mean, you should have seen us. We were traveling in all sorts of directions. Had he answered some of those prayers, we would have been very limited in our ability to minister to this community. Sometimes we just need to say, thank you, Lord, for saying no. We we would have settled for less. Some of our prayer requests were desperate prayers to show us some path to follow. But God was always, always, always wanting the best for us. He was not working against us. He He was working for us, but in his time. And I love that song. That's a beautiful song. That's... That takes us back a few decades. That's a great song. Makes all things beautiful in his time. Rarely does God rush. Rarely does God rush. 
I wonder if God wants us to catch something bigger or if he wants us to, to, to transform us or if he wants to position us for something amazing that he wants to do through us and for us. But the road winds through the valley. And God could remove us from the valley. And he could put us on the mountaintop. But he may be doing some even greater things. So God never seems to be in a hurry. And it's particularly hard when you're walking through the valley. It's not hard when you're on the mountaintop. But when you're walking through the valley, we all know it. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 is read so easily and so quickly. If you don't take time to think about this, you'll just check that off. But when the right time came, God sent his son. Boy, that sounds simple. But the right time wasn't a snappy decision like we might say, oh, let's go to Vancouver for the weekend. There might be a few seats left there for the Grey Cup. Take a chance. Or let's just have leftovers this evening for supper. We'll just see what's in the fridge. We'll find something. And we'll just pull it together. We'll just throw it together. It'll be fast. Galatians 4.4 wasn't thrown together. It took centuries. Multiple centuries in order to come into alignment. The process of God giving his son to this planet was well orchestrated and well thought through. The timing was impeccable. You know how careful you are to let your son or daughter go to somebody's place and they want to stay overnight and boy, you're a little unsure because you don't really know this family. Imagine God depositing his son on this earth as a helpless little baby. No less a world that was filled with violence. No less a world that wasn't connecting well with the creator. What would they do with the precious son of God? Can you trust your son into that environment? So from the very beginning of time, no, even before time, before there was a Milky Way or a solar system, before there was a first man and a first woman, there was a conversation going on among the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who live in such glorious communion. An arrangement was being made that the Son of God would come and visit this planet and he would be the Redeemer. He'd be the Redeemer way, way, way back. Oh, the fullness of time. God is never in a hurry. God never just throws things together. It actually took several thousand years of planet time before it all came together. It all started about 4,000 years ago in Genesis 12 when God appeared to a man called Abraham and invited him to go on a journey of faith that would change his life and impact his descendants. And God told Abraham to leave his country and his relatives and everything that was familiar to him and he would go and he would show him a land that would be very special. And God promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. And from Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that seed, of course, would be Jesus. And Abraham believed and obeyed God. But he spent the rest of his life waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. 
spent the rest of his life. And nothing much happened for about 600 years. And Abraham's descendants were indeed uh, many, many. After centuries of multiplying in Egypt, Abraham's descendants became a real threat to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh then forced the people into slavery. And God raised up a man named Moses to deliver these people from Pharaoh and lead them right to the border of the promised land. And always there was this spirit of anticipation. Through the years, God raised up many prophets after Moses, but people still waited for this special promised prophet. And God said to Moses that he would raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Deuteronomy 18, 18. And we believe that verse is a reference to the coming Christ, the Messiah. And once they arrived in the promised land, God's people waited another 400 years until God raised up a king named David. And God said, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne shall be established forever. Second Samuel chapter 7. And Jesus would fulfill that promise And remember on Palm Sunday, when he entered Jerusalem, the crowd shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, to the son of David. But David waited, and he never saw that promise fulfilled either. And after David died, things got a little bit messy, and the various kings that came to the throne, many were wicked, and the nation of Israel sputtered, eventually split into the north and the south kingdoms. It appeared like these kingdoms would be absolutely obliterated. And then came the prophets from, with the message from God. And God raised up prophets like Isaiah, who promised new life for the nation and the coming of one who would be called the Messiah, who would deliver his people and restore them to glory. And Isaiah wrote, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. But it wasn't for another 500 years that the prophecy was fulfilled. And a remnant of the nation of Israel had returned to the promised land. But it was hardly a glorious return. And eventually they came to be under the rule of Rome. And the memory of the promises made to Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah were still alive in the hearts of many Jews. God's people were still waiting and waiting. So Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. This certainly wasn't a quick throw it together solution. It was into this darkness that the Christmas event finally came. The fullness of time had been so much more than a nine month wait. God's people had been expectantly waiting. Oh, it's hard to not lose hope when you're waiting so long. 
And after all these years of waiting, God finally sent to earth the one who would bring these promises to pass. Jesus was born in the fullness of time. And historians tell us that it was the right time politically. The Roman Empire had spread over a large part of the then-known world. And people would, could travel with ease because these Romans, they were great road builders. And building all these fabulous roads all over the Roman Empire allowed the message of the gospel to be transported. And people could walk and share the message of Jesus Christ with ease. And it was a perfect time culturally and a perfect time language-wise. Because Alexander the Great gave us a great gift in the creation of Koine Greek. Koine Greek was the common language of the day. And it spread all over the Roman Empire so that wherever you went, people could talk to one another. There was good communication. They knew the Koine Greek of the day, the common person's language of the day. And everyone understood one another, and therefore they could understand the gospel. And it was the right time in terms of a spiritual climate in the Roman Empire. There was a hunger for God. There was a hunger for more than rules and regulations. There was a hunger for more than stone gods and wood gods. But just like us, they were authentically searching for something real in their lives. Something to meet the deep needs of their hearts. And into this spiritual climate, Jesus came. Oh, the fullness of time. At just the right time, at just the right time, Christ came. Nothing had been left to chance. It had all been prearranged. It was right on schedule. In fact, you can look through, I think, almost every book of the Old Testament. And you can see that there's an expectancy of Christ in, in every one of the books. You can see that they're waiting for something to come. In Genesis, Jesus is the seed of a woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, he is the brazen serpent lifted up in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, he is the promised prophet. In Joshua, he is the unseen captain. In, in uh, Ruth, he is my redeemer, my kinsman redeemer. In Samuel and Chronicles, he is the promised king. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the restorer of the nations. In Esther, he is my advocate. In Job, he is my redeemer. My redeemer lives. He is, uh, in Psalms, he is my all in all. In Proverbs, he is my pattern. In Ecclesiastes, he is my goal. In the Song of Solomon, he is my beloved. In the prophets, he is the coming shalom, the coming prince of peace. And you can go through all the books and you can just kind of see, there's Christ, there's Christ. Now, as we come to celebrate Advent, what does this all mean for us? What does this patient, well-planned event of Christmas teach us about God and my life? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, our challenge is to get in step with God and not have God get in step with us. We, we may be hurrying and scurrying, uh, everything that God, thinking that God's just going to catch us on the run. 
Here, Lord, catch me if you can. I have to go. I have to go. I'm in a hurry. Lord, I don't have time now. I'm in a hurry. This will have to be fast. And maybe this is a perfect time to say, he doesn't speed up to catch you. You have to slow down to be with him. God is not in a hurry. We are often in a hurry. But look what God has done even though he wasn't in a hurry. Wow. Look what he accomplishes when he's not in a hurry. He gave us the greatest gift. A gift that just keeps on giving and transforming lives through every century. Jesus is transforming lives. And all of life is in his hands. He has you in his hands. He wants you to learn his rhythm. Someone has said it so well, come apart before you come apart. Slow the pace, the RPMs of your life before something is broken. Your life, your health, your relationships are in the hands of God. You have to slow down to be with him. So our challenge is to get in step with God and not have God get in step with us. Secondly, our challenge is to cooperate with God so that his eternal purposes can be realized in us. He has the best plan for us. We can't change his plan. In fact, we don't want to try to change God's plan for us simply to get what we want. It would be like us settling for something less than what he actually beautifully gave us to, for, for this facility, in this community, in this strategic time. God is a great plan. Look how well he plans for us. Look how carefully he planned over the centuries of time. Look how he planned your life. He knew about you before there was a creation. He knew. He knew about you coming. Does that ever add significance to your life? <clears throat> he has a great plan for your life. He's not going to change his plan so you can get just what you want or what you think you want. But you might have to wait and trust. Yeah. You'll trust a God who is sovereign, who is trustworthy and good. He sees the very best for your life. So your life is not just, well, let's just... Let's just uh, throw a few things together. It's an amazing, it's an amazing, unique plan designed especially for you. And he wants you to trust him for it. And know that you can expectantly wait for what he is doing in your heart and your life and your circumstances. So our challenge is to cooperate with God so that his eternal purposes can be realized in us. Finally, God is relentless. He never gives up. And he will never give up on you. He never gave up through all the ups and downs of the people in the Old Testament. And you can't help but read those many books of the Old Testament and say, Oh, 
What a tough bunch. What a tough bunch. Oh, how they went their own way and trusted in themselves and they veered off to the left and to the right and they trusted in foreign gods and they rejected the very God who made them and loved them. And they rejected him. But God is relentless. He will never leave you alone, even if you wish he would. He has a way of tapping you on the shoulder. He has a way of disturbing your sleep. Ever notice that? He speaks into your heart. And he reminds you of his desire to walk with you. And you turn the other way, but he is patient. He desires that his kindness will lead you to repentance, that his kindness will lead you to his heart. God is relentless. He never gives up, and he will never give up on you. Yes, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. Oh, isn't there a lot wrapped up in that one little sentence? It was all very well orchestrated and planned. And in the fullness of time, God is working in your life. So don't despair. Keep trusting. Know that there's a lot wrapped up in that too, in your life. That every season of your life is important. That every birthday you have is important. That every opportunity that, you, that God gives you is important. That every turn to the left and every turn to the right is important. That God is working. And it's all in the fullness of time. Let's stand together. Lord, uh, some of us probably need to hear this this morning. That you've not given up on us. That you love us. That you're allowing us to wait expectantly. Yeah, perhaps even though we don't understand. So thank you, Father, that you know best, that your timing is also always right on. So give us courage and faith to trust you. In Jesus' name.